Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Tate Fletcher is joining the crew again for an incredible conversation about his ongoing recovery from a traumatic brain injury, and of course, many other topical issues. We all know Tate to be an already exceptionally thoughtful human, but it seems that the road he's traveled since we last spoke to him has only enhanced his appreciation for life. For most people, this past year has been wild for sure, but for Tate, it's been a turning point. A refreshingly outspoken guest and friend, Tate reminds us to fight for wellness at every opportunity. Here it is, episode 485. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Tate Fletcher on Instagram at his namesake, Tate Fletcher, and a very special thank you to him for showing such vulnerability and talking about a really personal subject matter. It's an incredibly inspiring and powerful story, and we're super grateful. Until next time, bye! There. All right. Yeah. Dude, you sound way better. I feel great. I feel way better. Uh, it's been a quite a transformation, I'd say, from the last I talked to you, I guess, uh, was the beginning of it, really, but... Yeah, yeah I, was well, telling, uh, I was telling Tex a little bit that um, all of a sudden I'm driving my kid... Uh, I have the girls in the car, the kids, my wife were like taking my son to little league baseball or to his T-ball thing. And all of a sudden my phone rings at like eight thirty, nine o'clock and it's Tate. And I'm like, what's going on? Like I told my wife, I was like, <laughs> you got to give me a few minutes. So we parked the car and I sat in the car while she was, you know, coaching T-ball for me. But yeah, we, um, dude, uh, just the, the clarity in your voice I heard yesterday, like put me at ease because that day you called me, I could hear the, uh, like the emotion and the tension. And as I was telling the guys, that's not the first call I've gotten like that. You know, being an NFL player and especially retired NFL player and seeing guys, and we talked about this coming back with, you know, acute and traumatic brain injury. I've had friends call me where you're like, dude, we got to do something quick. Yeah, it, it um, it's an interesting injury because you've got this injury that is, is based on the thing that informs you of the world and of all your thoughts and of, and so you don't think you're hurt because the viewfinder is what it is. It, it's not as if you're looking in an alternate way or something like that. So you don't even know how hurt you are. And, and like, and so by the time you're at an end stage for like, for me anyway, and, and you know, guys, you, you know, we all know, um, it just becomes a weight you can't bear. And you go, I've got to, I've got to pull the plug, man. I can't go on anymore like this. You become like a stranger to yourself, you know, your brain, you know, if you're thinking of everything you think of your, your confidence erodes, right? Because if I can't, if I know I'm hurt and I can't trust what the viewfinder is, how can I count on anything I even think? And so, you know, that with all the other numerous uh, issues that come up with uh, post-concussive syndrome and stuff like that, you know, it's been two years of recovery for me. And so until, and until I got to a point where I go, I'm, I'm riding around in my truck with, a pistol ready to shoot myself through the chest just looking for the courage and i just tell that to a friend matter of factly you know like in in a few days i've had a couple of great friends occurrences um that came together and and i was in a treatment center um for brain injuries that was different than what i thought it would be it was a, a system where they map my brain with an eeg and um they read neural wave patterns and, and it's a treatment that's done for uh, TBI. So there's a lot of war fighters that were at the place I was at, combat vets and autistic kids. Apparently we got some things in common. 
and um, and those neural wave disruptions, they want to get them congruous again. And so that's the idea. And to do that, they shoot magnets through your head. And and um, and it's a was this out in Cal? This was out in California, Newport Beach, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, in that, it's it, it feels a little funky or whatever. You do it for a while, you're tired, but but like. The first week I'd had a huge experience of a turnaround of a melting away of uh, depression and, and, um, and just hopelessness that I hadn't had. I mean, I'd had that depression with me since I was a little kid. TBIs over the years of fighting and everything kind of exacerbated things, I think. But I, I think what happens, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, is big wave surfer, Shane Dorian, and he goes, I think what happens, you know, what we believe happens with CTE or what they did believe happened which they wouldn't know until they would splice your brain up after you're dead. And then they could read the, the degeneration. But, um, you know, the idea of that, it would, I mean, it's, it's a horrible idea if you're sitting there with a brain injury, because you think eventually my brain just keeps choking itself off and dies and I atrophy and I become more and more confused. And, and Shane and I were talking and I, I don't think that's what happens. I think the brain is highly neuroplastic and I think that it, it, People talk about it fixes itself. And I think what it does is it finds a way. If there is an obstacle, if there's an infraction, a, a, an explosion of this, I think that there's a, a breakaway from the synapses or something. And, and, and I, I think that there's treatments that you can do that realign that. I think every time there's an infraction, there's a workaround. The brain finds a way. It's got, I got to get the information from here to there. And then it does it again and then again. And then eventually you're in the midst of this post-concussive syndrome after I mean it takes years I think for a lot of this stuff to develop I mean I'd had it's important to say I think I probably walked off I don't know a hundred I don't how do you I don't know how do we quantify a concussion but like walked off a lot of damage never thought about it this last one banged me and I went to black abyss for about two years you know anyway there's a lot in there, but I'm really excited and stoked to be here just because the first time I've done a, a podcast about it or really talked anything about it. And, um, and it's a, it's an important subject to put out there. I didn't want to talk about it while I was in the healing of it a whole lot because I was fucking confused and in the healing man. And, and, um, and you don't know if you're going to make it and you get a brain injury and you go, I broke my vessel that contains all the energy that's me. And then how do I, how do I get that again? Because anytime energy comes in, I feel a little better. It just leaks away. And so that's what I thought too with this last uh, bit of therapy that I did, but it seems to have been sticky. Uh, I'm able to work. I'm able to work out. I've got my balance. Uh, my, you know, I had neurogenic tremors and stuttering and shit the last couple of years. That's gone away. Um, you know, I'm, I'm mended on almost all fronts, except uh, I, I still have a lot of uh, I have a little bit of anxiety and then I have a whole lot of nausea still. And I don't know why that's part of it, but, but that's been part of it too. But I've had to look at myself like holistically, like gut health. I've, you know, I've, I've looked down every level that I could. And, and you know, and then I find out too, uh, last summer before I went to this brain clinic, um, I, they go, yeah, you got, uh, we want you to go in and get your plaque tested also. So I tested all that and they're like, yeah, have you had an incident yet? When was your last incident? I'm like, never, what the fuck? And they go, you've got a history of familial cholesterolemia. And so I've got, um, I've got, I, I just, all I can do is laugh. I go, I'm already dead fucked. And now I got this <laughs> too. I'm like, all right. And, um, but man, it's a, it, it's a fucking beautiful day just to be able to be like excited to take on the things instead of feeling like so overwhelmed. You're like, I just, I'm not doing this anymore, man. I'm out. 
Um, you know, the, know uh, um, is, but, but I understand it well. And I know that, you know, it's hard to look back at your life and go, well, because you're in complaint all the time too, for like two years, I'm in complete. How you doing? Oh, fuck. I got, I can't, I can't drive a car. I fucking throw up. If I walk too fast, if I'm in the sun, I, I start sobbing, crying. I can't go outside. The grocery store is fucking terrifying with those broads, with the carts, pushing them around. Like you got a micro smosh just to go to whole food for God's sakes, you know? And, uh, and so the whole thing, it was like a whole reassembly. I did, I don't know, 150 hours or something in hyperbarics. That was the first place that we started looking for help um, because of Joe Namath protocols. Uh, because they told him back in the day, they said, you've got early onset Alzheimer's. And he's like, there's got to be something else. And, and he looked into like, how can I push nutrition via blood and oxygen into the deepest recesses of the tissues of my body and brain? And, and he you know, remedied himself. He's really a, a lot like uh, Louis over at Westside Barbell healing his own back over and over again or something like that. It's like there's these remarkable goddamn men out there that are like, you know what? that that's not a right answer. It doesn't ring true to me. And I'm going to search out some other things. And, and, and thank God there are guys doing that um, all the time. You know, yeah. the, uh, the interesting thing with a traumatic brain injury and especially like, you know, chronic brain injury is it just kind of happens slowly over time. And uh, you know, when we obviously had our conversation and some of the stuff I've gone back and over the last 10 plus years, 20 plus years, when you talk about concussions, uh, when I came in the NFL, they told me I would know I had a concussion when I got knocked unconscious. So if you get knocked unconscious, it's a concussion. When I left the NFL, I remember I was in my 10th year and we're going through the same talk. They actually were like, hey, uh, you know you get a concussion when you hit and there's any form of disorientation. So you get your bell rung, your eyes go crooked. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you feel lightheaded, like, you know, out of body experience. Based upon that assessment, how many concussions do you think you've had? And I remember being like 70,000. Right. Uh, you know, I've only been knocked unconscious maybe one or two times, but I mean, you know, how, how many times have I had my bell rung? Pretty much every single play of every game and, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 times in practice. I mean, dude, we hit with our heads. It was part of the deal. Yep. So um, when I retired from the NFL, uh, you know, and I went to Dr. Amen and was in that NFL clinic uh, or the NFL study on traumatic brain and went to the Amen clinic for it. They did all that brain mapping and they did a bunch of stuff. And the part of my brain that was actually damaged was over here on my left frontal lobe. And I think you're 100% right in that when the body shuts down or a part of the brain gets damaged, it finds a different way. It just creates new pathways. And, you know, that's, that goes back to Dr. Bueller's work. I remember when I went into Dr. Bueller and I hobbled in there and after three days, I, I came sprinting out and I asked Dr. Bueller, I'm like, why is this? He goes like, the best athletes in the world are the best athletes because they learn how to compensate around injury. So like all of a sudden you get injured, something stops firing and your athletic, you know, blueprint, you know, your understanding of movement just changes slightly and your body finds a new way to do something. Somebody else just physically can't do it. The best athletes just keep finding a way to recruit and to work around it. Then all of a sudden one day you get to the point where the straw breaks the camel's back and enough things are wrong where you can't do it anymore. And that was what happened with me. All of a sudden I was playing, started 16 games. I go get hurt. And physically, I just couldn't do it anymore. And it wasn't until I went and saw Dr. Bueller and he worked on me that I realized, oh shit, one, if I'd met this man 10 years ago, I'd probably still be playing the NFL. And the scariest part was if I had met him 10 years ago and continued to play in the NFL, how much more fucked up would my brain be? And um, that was really like my first step into understanding it. 
the other thing, um, you know, I think he talked, uh, or I talked to you about the cranial manipulation he did for me, where he put the balloon and did like the rhinoplasty. They put a balloon in your nose and then they expand it and he cracked all the sutures in my skull and it like relieved this pressure that I didn't even know I had and I didn't realize was there until it was gone. You so got to tell people too, you've got to let them know that like what a suture is because the first time you told me that and I know I'm an idiot, but like I'm thinking it's because your head is sewn up, but that that's a different term yeah. in your cranium, right? Yeah. So, so people think that the cranium is actually uh, like fixed. It's not like if you, if you have a baby, I mean, their skulls are pretty flexible, which allows them to get through the birth canal. And then over time, so all the different pieces and they're connected with what's called sutures, they harden over time and then our skull becomes hard, but it actually still flexes and moves unless you get a ton of calcification and a lot of other stuff that comes from traumatic brain injury. And then that stuff gets scarred down and then no longer can the brain or the skull flex and start getting movement, which allows for the, you know, the blood to pump through and a bunch of other stuff. So actually what happened from all the hits, my brain became scarred down with all the scar tissue and calcification and going back and actually cracking that completely changed. It was like one of those like moments where it happened and I felt like my life changed. Uh -huh. Yeah. I was like, Oh man. Like it was like a, it, it was like, I was like in, um, uh, like underwater pressure, you, you know, when you, you're like at 60 feet, like just the two atmospheres and you feel that pressure and you don't necessarily notice it because you've been there so long. And then you come up and you're like, Oh man, I got rid of that stuff. The, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm eager to try that. The, the other one that really tripped me out was as I retired, I remember, uh, it was like 2008, 2009. Uh, I was going through a bunch of stuff. I think I was looking for like a computer cord and I went and found, uh, as I was digging through, I found a bunch of papers that I'd written in college and I found my uh, thesis from grad school. So I opened it up as I'm reading through it. I was like, holy shit. One, I was a good writer. And two, I don't even know if I have the ability to access that level of information anymore. And it, it was like, that's when I realized it was like a bridge too far. And I thought to myself, man, I got to really do something. And that's where this like constant pursuit of trying to fix this stuff, but also reading and writing, developing a new skills. And I got really into this and being like, can I recapture what I once had? That's a, that, it's a fantastic self-awareness just in what you just described to be able to go, I'm not what I once was and also endeavor to do something about it. I mean, it's incredible. Well, I mean, people just kind of get stuck in this like hopelessness where like, and you, you said you were stuck in this kind of dark hopelessness where you didn't know how to get out and you either got to, you know, pick up a phone and call a lifeline and hopefully have somebody drag you out of it. Or you have to have this really interesting self-realization, which is what I had where, uh, and this is something the other day, um, Neil Kamamura, uh, you know, from Forge and Fire, who makes all those knives, he stopped by a uh, power athlete and we were kind of hanging out. And my training partner in college, a guy named Drake Parker, uh, his uncle, his dad's brother was Ed Parker, Elvis's bodyguard and, you know, the start of American Kempo. Yeah. So in the summers, we'd go over and stay at Drake's house and we'd go train in Hawaii and he lived in Kaniwai. And I was talking to, uh, or I was telling Neil, I was like, yeah, we used to go eat at this place. We'd go to Makapu, we'd go to Sandy's and I was kind of giving him the layout of our day. We'd wake up, we'd lift weights, we'd eat, we'd go, you know, body surf and kind of hang around. And he was like, how long ago was this? I'm like, I was like 18, 19, 20. He's like, the fact that you remember all of these names and you probably, if we put you there, could get back. I'm like, 100%. So there's like a really interesting thing within my memory where the memories from when I was a kid up and through college are all pretty fixed. And then for that 10 years in the NFL, all of a sudden, like I lost a ton of ability to retain memories and information. 
And then since that has ended, all of a sudden now I felt like my memory has come back because I mean, we'll get on the podcast and they'll ask me questions and I can like remember moments when I was a little kid and my dad and I, or my brothers, things we said, things we do that are just so crystal clear where if somebody asked me, Hey, um, you know, December 31, 2005, you played in this game. Uh, do you remember playing in that game? And I'd be like, man, I'd have to watch the, I'd have to watch the video. I'd, I'd have to watch the tape to even like access that memory. So what it, it's pretty interesting when I, and I've talked to doctors about this, they're like, you know, uh, there is like neuroplasticity, your brain, when it's healthy, is supposed to remember these things and supposed to this, but when you start adding all this trauma that looks like not only hitting with your head every play, but you know, let's say, uh, you know, uh, anti-inflammatories, maybe drinking too much. I mean, all these other things that can, you know, exasperate it. He's like, it becomes a real problem. And the fact that you've come out the other side and are starting to regain and have regained much of what you lost within that 10 years just goes to show that you can heal your brain. This idea that, you know, brain injury is, is permanent. There's no way to fix it. I think is total bullshit. And when I was told that I took the same, uh, the same stance where I'm like, you know what, I don't like the answers you're giving me. So I'm going to go find new people and I'm going to investigate this. And I'm going to find a way to fix this. Yeah. And, th and thank God that they're out there and thank God we're as interconnected as a community. I mean, all, all the answers to whatever is going on in the world, any right now, anytime, is community. Is like we need one another. We need cooperation. And thank God we're as connected as we are so we can overlay experience and all that. The one thing that I want to say, especially, I mean, uh, you know, I, I speak to whoever is hurt or thinks they might be or something like that is that, you know, you're talking about well over 10 years of healing, right? And it's like this idea that I'm going to, take a pill and I'm going to feel better from this thing that I've been, I've been dropping my computer on cement for 20 years. And I think the information's not going to be jumbled like that's yeah. insanity, right? I mean, this is our processing center. And so inside of that, when I first get confronted with it, you know, I go to a neurologist and, and she says, yeah, take fish oil. And if you're not feeling better in about eight months, go ahead. And we got some Alzheimer's medicine for you. I'm like, how is, how is that the answer? I'm like, you're not curious of stem cells, hyperbarics, ketamine. Uh, we do hype, uh, like all sorts of gyrometers. Like there's a thousand things you could talk about. And she's like, yeah, that's not what we do. And I go, are you not even interested as a, as a healer? And she's like, that's not what we do. And so in that, you know, you're, you're left to find your own way. And, and, um, and, 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 but what she did say that was true is like, it's going to take a couple of years. And I couldn't accept that when at that time, I was like, it just seems unreal, except the injury itself. I mean, in that confusion of, I can't do anything. There's a great focalizing thing where it's like, I have to sit and I have to just be with my breath and follow my breath. And that's what I'm reduced to. And there's a, there's a wholeness that you can get an equilibrium again. Um, and it, and it takes a couple of years. It just, it's, I mean, that's been my experience. I've done some profound healing because of braintreatmentcenter.com in Newport. They got one in Dallas, uh, in Miami, I think, but because of them, I mean, that, that had a wholesale turnaround, but that was after a, a year and a half or something like that of, of this injury. Right. And, um, it just takes time. It takes time and it takes understanding. And what I didn't understand is like, you know, my mama said, cause you said you get hurt and then it expresses way later. Well, my, my experience hundred percent brother is that me, my, so before I went to this clinic, my mama says, and she knows I'm going, I'm so glad that you got hurt. 
and and when I was hurt, I was I was ratcheted in a movie. I was pulled from my nape of my neck straight down and back, and I it was just a funky setup, and I should have done a, uh, something different, but. I was unconscious for five minutes. And so that was the latest injury that I've had. Um, and then when I came to, it just started to fall apart. But about a year and a half after that, my mom says, I'm so glad that you got hurt. And I go, why is that? What, what are you telling me? And she goes, I've, I've been watching you change, like morph for the last eight, 10 years. You've been, you've been becoming different. And I go, I go, you got to tell me what that means. You know, like I'd get, that's the other thing about the injury. I'd, I'd want to be very specific. Like I need, because I'm, I'm learning a whole new glossary of terms for how to talk about my brain, my emotions, my, all these things. Right. And so she's like, you know, you're, that, there's a softness and a kindness about you that, that was washing away and there's an irritability growing and there's, there's all these different expressions. And that's, that's also, I think for loved ones or for, or for the afflicted, you're like, why am I acting such a cunt right now? Or what, like, it looks like a character flaw. It doesn't look like a brain injury. You know, and one of the persons that got me really present to that is, is our friend, Dr. Kirk Parsley. And yeah. he starts talking about guys in, in the teams. And he goes, I just want you to consider that, I don't know if it's 80 decibels or whatever that, that a TBI occurs at, right, at, at that wave. He says, every time they're going in Zodiacs and they hit a wave, every time they hit is a tbi tape you're in a, you're in tbis all day long so to the point of like where they're like unless you're knocked out it's not a big deal it's like man there's there's a whole lot of things and we're just strong and resilient so the more strong and resilient you are well fuck you get to take damage for way longer and um you know there's there's all that and so i i just i think now more than ever I, I, you know and i'm so glad you guys asked me here but i want to get into a position where we can talk about you know, mental, mental health and getting guys back because these fucking guys that go to war, they're blown up, they're this and that. It's like, they all, our greatest assets of this country become liabilities because we don't know how to take care of their minds after they've been subjugated to, to, to tremendous fucking force, right? And is it not our goddamn responsibility to do so, right? To have some more compassion and understanding. And now with this knowledge to go forward and go, yeah, I want to set up, um, uh, what brain treatment center has at the UFC gym. I want to set that up as soon as guys come in off, off of uh, duty that they're in and they're getting brain treatment. I don't give a shit if you feel good or not, because the thing is, is you feel good, but you don't know how bad you're hurt until you get better. Until I was getting better. I had no idea how hurt I was, how fucked I was, had no idea because my filter thinks it's normal. Well, and also it's a, it's a cumulative effect. So it's not like all of a sudden you break your leg and you can't walk. It's just kind of like, uh, it's like arthritis almost, where all of a sudden something happens, you still could do stuff. And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, you're not able to do the things that you were. And it was so gradual. Um, you made a great point a little earlier. You talked about like the, how long does it take to fix? Um, you know, you talk about years. I mean, it's taken me almost a decade. But think about like, um, <laughs> this is something we encounter all the time with, uh, you know, training programs and things we do here at Power Athlete, where somebody has taken 10 years of their life to get themselves out of shape and, you know, put on body fat and, you know, have all these health injuries, uh, you know, or, you know, health problems that become injuries. And, you know, they give through this whole deal and then they start training. And within two months, they're frustrated that they're not in good shape. I, you know, I thought I'd be in better shape by now. And I'm like, me too. I'm like, how, like, how long did it take you to get out of shape? How long did it take you to get here? Why would you think that you could just snap your fingers and reverse this thing 
uh, in just a, a like, like a moment's notice. I'm like, for every day that you did something poor, you're going to have to at least give me one, if not two days on the positive. Yeah. So if it took you 10 years to, uh, you know, to get where you are, it's going to take you at least that time to get back to the point where you think you should be. And a lot of people aren't invested. And I'm like, well, you have to live that life anyway. Like, like, aren't they like, like, it's not as if you're like, Oh, it's too much work. Well, like, what else are we doing? Like, That's like my friend yeah. the other day, he's, he talks about how horrifically, oh, he's like, my bones are decaying this and that he's five years younger than me. And he's got all these ailments. And I was like, dude, you go hiking in the park. And that's nice for the Englishman that you go hiking on. Who's got his nice slender 140 pound build. He's, 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 you need to put weight on you. Yeah. You need to, I mean, you need to deal with force. Uh, you're de- what do you think 60 is going to look like? And that's the thing is like, you know, I've, <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, you know, huh, I, I guess I'm, uh, I'm not going to die young after all. You know, and, and when that when it settles on you, you're like, oh, okay, this I'm, I don't know how long I'm here for. So it behooves me to behave in a way that I'm going to be able to carry myself tomorrow. When I was working with my friend Harrison, the the you know 90 94 year old gentleman, he passed. But um, when we would go on work, and I would just look at, you know, such a beautiful thing. But instantly we would because fear is a big part of it. Mind, body, he's, cause he starts going, is my balance fucked? And he's looking at his feet when he's walking and then he walks jittery and I go, okay, let's be upright and let's have a bottle and out of our peripheral, we'll just throw a bottle and, and little things like that got him connected to where he could walk. And I go, we're, and then I see pro athletes in the gym and I see CrossFit, all these different people doing different shit. Everybody, Harrison, me, Ruben, everybody, is just working out to do the thing well that they're doing, that they want to do today. Harrison, I want to keep being able to get off the toilet. You know, Ruben, I want to strangle everybody I see. What, whatever your goal is, it's like, I just want to be able to keep living this life. And so how do I support that physically, nutritionally and all that? And I really commend you guys for what you do because it's, we don't have learning plans for our body, you know, in our fantastic crack up uh, school system that we have. I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine if I sat in a school class right now, I would trip out, I bet. Yeah, but, no, well, you wouldn't be able to do the math. This Common Core thing was uh, super confusing, and I took math in college. Um, you you brought up another piece um, that isn't discussed, and it I don't know if it's a cultural thing or what it is, but this idea of, um, and I think it was Chris Rock made a good point. Like he said, uh, uh, nobody cares about men. Everybody cares about women. Everybody cares about children, but men are completely expendable unless you can provide something for women and children. And uh, I don't know if you saw Chris Rock's comedy special, but he, it was, it was pretty funny. And then all of a sudden he was kind of like, we were talking about Dave Chappelle. It's funny. And then he takes it to a real serious place. And he's like, I, I got divorced and I realized that there's no value in being a man. And the things that you're going through, if you're like, Hey, you know, I'm having these problems and you just need to man up. You need to quit being a pussy. Like these are things that you should deal with. Like this is all on your mind. Uh, because you as the man have to be this provider. And if you can't do those things, then no longer do you have value in this society. And, uh, you know, as we're talking about this, um, you know, when you reached out to me, because I've gotten those phone calls before, and because I've dealt with it, like instantly, I go from like a two to a 10. And I realize that like the severity of this, and it takes more courage for you to reach out and be like, man, I'm having a fucking problem. More so than like, oh, I'm a dude, I'll just fucking bury it down deep. And hopefully it fixes itself, which doesn't happen. You know, the amount of friends that I've had, uh, and I remember the junior sale one fucking blew my mind because I, I knew junior, I played against him, hung with him. 
I mean, I watched that man drink me under the table, you know, numerous times. And to have a guy who I thought owned the, you know, owned the space wherever he went, have that level of like depression and suicide and to be able to kill himself, like that threw me off my rocker in so many ways. Cause that he was the biggest, strongest, baddest dude I'd ever seen. Yeah. And to have it, you know, come down and I'm sure you've seen it too. So like that discussion of, dude, there are value. And more importantly, you know, why does society not want to hear this? Well, the other, the, the other, I, you know, it's hard. <laughs> I was going to say it's hard being a man, but boy, there's a sound bite. Uh, the thing is, man, is like, yeah, there's an ex expectation, right? Everybody's got different privilege, if you call it, you know, I don't worry the same when I walk out to the parking lot, when I leave the grocery store and it's dark, the way my mama has to, or whatever, right? There's, there's different assets and there's all that shit that everybody has. But um, when, when I look at like men as they grow in age and, I, and watching this, and I think there's this testosterone, there's this drive to dominate, control, compete. There's all these things that you have to go and how do I center this and, and, and be a whole man that's useful to my community and that isn't in chaos all the time amidst all this turmoil that I've got to deal with just as far as an operating system for my fucking body. Um, and inside, like, when that, when that is, like, not harnessed or anything in any way, it comes out weird. And so if I'm not directed, disciplined, intentional with the way I want the energies in my life to go. So as an athlete, I'm trying to crush whatever I can. And then as a coach, I'm trying to help whoever I can. And in that coaching, I look at, like, why coaching? Well, your body doesn't work as well to be a prime athlete. And so you can be helpful here. And like, there's all these ways where you take footsteps and you can be helpful letting people know the lay of the land that are coming behind you. Or you can continue to try to dominate and suppress them, right? And it's like, I think guys get to make a choice of that. The guys that try to dominate and suppress, you see who those guys are and what it turns out at 70. And then you see guys that go, hey man, um, my life is to, because my life now and your life, I mean, a lot of it is to clean up a lot of the recklessness and the drive that my previous life had, right? And everybody's going to need to do that. So how can we curate ourselves so we can have a better experience evolutionarily for our whole communities and peoples everywhere? And, that, and, and that's, that's the conversation of this is because if you can keep your, I mean, I, I think back and thinking when you're playing, bro, if, if you could have been doing any of the treatments at that time, breaking all the seams of your brain out, if you could be doing NAD drips every week, if you could, I mean, you'd be getting a lot of bio trash out of your body. I mean, you, and, and we know these things now. And so now I think it's like for us to ring a bell and, and, and get people that are engaged because, you know, let's not wait till it's too late because God damn it, we're lucky men yeah. that we're alive here today, breathing Amen. and happy about that. And that wasn't the case shortly ago for me. And, and so I'm, I'm a bit uh, passionate and I'm still, I get in my feelings about it, man, because it means something to me because I know what it feels being that empty, being without a light and God damn it, there's a little flicker in you. If we can embolden that somehow and go, maybe there's hope because at the end of the day, I buried one of my best friends that was killed a long time ago. His mom's sitting next to me, holding my hand at the casket. She goes, she goes, Tate, don't let your mama bury you. You're not supposed to bury your children. And she's in, and we're in tears. And, and, and this is a long time ago. And this last summer, I thought, and it's one of the things that I've held in pride. I've taken care of myself. I've been well, because I think being a good friend 
what do I owe you as a friend? I owe you me taking care of myself. I owe you that I'm not going to make horrible decisions for myself that are going to leave you heartbroken. Like there's a bond of my friendship, let alone what it is for my mother. And, and at the end of the day, brain injury wilts it all away so much that I'm like, I'm going to have to go before you, mom. And, uh, and I don't know how to hold it anymore. And to not be in that position, man, that's a bright fucking day. And, uh, and so if you are out there in that way, I just think, I, I mean, you, you got, you got to hang on and you got to know that there's answers because there are, and also that you're not alone, you know? Well, I mean, the advancement in the last 10 years is like exponential. So when I retired in 2009 and I got into Amon's deal and they, uh, I mean, I remember like sitting with all this brain mapping and I, I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast, but I'm sitting there and I, I went through about three days worth of cognitive testing. They did intelligence. I mean, it was like a battery of tests, all this brain mapping. I did uh, CAT scans, MRIs, the whole deal. So I go for like the final checkout with them and they're going to give me all the results. So we walk in and they were like, Hey, do you want the good news or the bad news? Which I think is a terrible way to approach life as a doctor, especially fucking for people walking in on this thing. And uh, I was like, well, uh, give me the bad news. I like the bad news first. Let's end on a positive note. They're like, well, we can tell you played predominantly on the left side. I'm like, uh, no, I played half my career playing left guard. I paid, played the rest of my career playing right tackle. And, uh, uh, right guard. And they were like, well, the part of your brain that took the most amount of damage was here on that fr left frontal lobe. So we realized from, you know, all the hits right there on the left side of your body, we usually assume you're on the left you guys in a three technique, you play inside, you're going to be hitting with that side of your head. And, uh, that's the part of your brain that deals with sympathy and empathy. So I was like, yeah, okay, for your job. Yeah. Which, which is hilarious. And I was like, okay, so, so I'm an insensitive bastard. I get that. And they were like, you know, our, uh, all of our emotional and cognitive and all the, you know, the testing that you did that wasn't, you know, with, you know, scanning kind of affirms this. So I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, so what's the good news, right? As you told me, I got brain damage. Uh, they were like, actually, uh, intelligence wise and cognitively, you were the smartest dude we've ever tested. And I was like, ever. And they were like, well, you know, then I was like, or just within the confines of the NFL study. And they were like, well, within the NFL study. Players. And, I, and I, I lasted, I laughed. I was like, okay, so that's like being like the best looking kid in like the class of ugly kids. Like, I'm okay, so I'm the smartest football player. That's like a total low common denominator. But um, as we kind of get into this thing, they were like, you know, started talking all these treatments. And I kind of laughed a little bit. And I was like, can I get a doctor's note that explains this? And they kind of looked at me a little confused and they're like, why? I'm like, cause my wife and my mom are never going to believe that I have a, a, a clinical diagnosis for being an insensitive asshole. And, uh, <laughs> wow. you know, it now and then. yeah. And, uh, but, but the thing, and I realized is they were like, you know, the, the, you know, the cognitive thing, and this was an interesting point. They were like, you know, you started like, let's say you started a hundred and somebody else starts at 80. And then all over the course, you all lose 40. You're still at that 60. They're down at, you know, you know, 20, let's say, uh, you know, or, uh, or whatever for what I say, 80, 60, 20, what did I say? 60, 40, 80, somewhere in there. Um, but uh, like that idea of like playing with a little bit more and starting a little bit ahead. Uh, but from there, when I jumped in the car, I ended up calling, uh, I called Matt Lalonde and I called Rob Wolf and I reached out to Matt and I was like, Matt, like, what do you know about traumatic brain injury? Is there a way to fix it? And he said, Hey, let me call you back. He had his like team of, you know, intelligent, uh, you know, Harvard, MIT gremlins pull every study they could on uh, traumatic brain injury. 
and called me back and said, you know, um, ketogenic diets have been shown to reduce and help uh, the effects of traumatic brain injury. And that was where I, I started, you know, uh, investigating ketogenic diets, not like the cyclical keto I'd done with Mauro De Pasquale, but legitimate like 20% protein, 80% fat type of deal, zero carb. And I didn't eat a carb for over a year. And I know when I came out on the other side of that, I felt like it had fixed something, but it didn't fix everything. And then I realized that it's not just one thing. And I think so many times people think like, oh, I'm just going to do this one thing and it's going to do it. Uh, it's going to be this cumulative effect. It's going to be diet. Like you said, it's going to be uh, you know, gut work. It's going to be doing like magnets. I mean, you have to continue to search out new things because you never know what's going to be the thing that, that tips is the tipping point for you. Um, like we were just talking to this morning, I saw Doc Parsley and uh, his buddy who's big in the hyperbarics. And we were rapping about telomere lengths and, you know, regeneration and what you can do under the, I think he said it was at like 50 hours of within the hyperbarics. And there's some really fascinating research in terms of, you know, like life extension with that type of stuff. So then you start talking about exosomes and stem cells and, you know, Dr. Inkladon and Doc Yu is out in California. I mean, just having people within our network that are the world's experts at this stuff and then being able to try to kind of put them together in concert to, you know, fix yourself. And, and seeing that all those, all those health modalities are, are, are being more expressed in the United States. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of folks are going to Panama or whatever. I mean, if they have the means to do that. It's, and I understand that for most people, I mean, I, you know, years ago, listening to that, it's like, that's a great, I'll never get better. I have to go to, how am I going to do that? I, I can't take three days off of work or whatever the thing is, right? And and so now things are getting closer, cheaper. I mean, things are becoming more available in, in real true healthcare. The other thing that's fascinating is it's like, you don't know, like you don't know with the, with the infraction on the head, how that expresses and how long it takes to express, et cetera. The same thing with healing. We have all these assets, you know, and, 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 and what really happens with NAD? They're just studying a lot. You can feel a lot of the assets instantly, but what's behind the scenes, you know? And I think about that with like, you know, uh, a lot of my friends are deep into the mycology and uh, psilocybin for brain health and all that. They doing testing with Johns Hopkins and all that, but like, you know, Nixon stopped all that in the seventies. You imagine if we had all those years, decades. Well, we it. had to have the war on drugs, but right we've now, got our fucking asses kicked out. So. Well, it was never intended to win, right? It was yeah. intended to suppress people and create a high police force. And so here we are. But anyways, uh, but, but all the administrations aren't connected. You know, your party matters, believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so wait a minute. So what you're saying is, oh man. I feel like, I feel like we jump topics. <laughs> no, uh, like there's, like there's so much to dig into. Uh, and I think the problem is, is, um, you know, like a journey of, uh, you know, a thousand miles starts with a single step. People don't know where to start. And the problem is, the first step is really understanding that you have a problem. The problem with that, and you know, we we'll call it compounding uh, problems, is you have to first figure out that you have this issue. And then once you start having it, then you have to admit that you have the issue. And the problem is it's such a cumulative effect over time that you don't necessarily notice it. It almost takes somebody else who's around you, like a loved one, to be like, something is wrong. But then when they approach you with that, you're like, fuck you, you don't know. And, and there's this like this prickliness. Alcoholism. It doesn't show up as anything except you've got a shitty character. You're being a dick. 
And so what is that medically? You know, it's like, that doesn't get me closer to even knowing I'm hurt. It's just, I have these weird fucking expressions. Yeah. Trippy times, man. And, and then you have people be like, Hey, you know, something's wrong with him. Uh, you know, it could be drugs. It could be alcohol or he could just be a fucking asshole and not realize alcohol too a lot of times because we try to mask that with that i mean i don't know how many guys had to get off pills before we could even get them started on a place of treatment you know and then some guys you got to get them on a place of treatment before they can get off the pills and it's like everything's so individual you know there's not like right answers necessarily except that we do know that if you have a brain injury and you drink upon a brain injury you're giving yourself another brain injury like to soak any cell in alcohol, there's not any biological cell that remains alive in that state, right? And so when I've suppressed my mind in that way, it's, it becomes dangerous. Not to mention, even we haven't even mentioned the swelling. You know, how long does your fucking brain stay swollen? A long time. I mean, I've known people, Lacey got her shoulder hurt and she had to, just for that tissue to settle down, they're like, we won't be able to operate on you for like six months. I mean, we think we know what inflammation means, but it's like to really take, time and to get inflammation down it takes months to do that and it takes like you said a directed diet i've been on a keto diet because thank god for rob wolf and uh from the very beginning of this you know and it, it's it's been the best asset for me because also i haven't been able to move and so you know i you know in, in two years i've probably done 30 workouts or something you know but um but if you eat correctly your body nourishes itself. It doesn't hold a lot of extra weight. Like it's, I've been able to keep some semblance of shape with that way too. But like, if I'm not cognitive and directed in the ways I think, then I get sloppy fucking results. I wish there was a, like a mode for us to assess this stuff faster. Like, um, I mean, like we said, like, you know, people within your circle, but then also when this starts to happen, people start alienating people out of their circle. I know that guys who, you know, that I played with who were good friends, all of a sudden, like something small, and next thing you don't talk to them, you're like, wow, that didn't seem really real, like insurmountable. Like, why was that the, you know, the crux? And you realize that this is part of this neurodegeneration. This is part of the problem with a lot of these guys is that they, they can't take in this information, they can't separate it. And it just becomes this kind of jumbled where everybody's attacking me and everybody wants this. And it's, um, it's a scary deal. The the one observation I made, and maybe you saw this as well, uh, you know, with the UFC and the fighting and whatnot, it seems to me that the guys who I played with who took the most amount of painkillers are seem to have the most amount of problems now. Yes. And uh, that was interesting when I started talking with Dr. Inkledon with like the, the pain neuromatrix, how they found the same receptors in the gut that they found within the brain. So obviously you take a pill, it affects, you know, it, it gets into your body, but it affects all of the receptors in the stomach that end up mirroring in the, in the skull. And now all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, the opiates and whatever, uh, you know, start deteriorating the lining of the skull. And there's a million different things that happen from uh, abuse of that. But then also what they've never really studied is what are the effects of these opiates in a concussed state when somebody has a brain injury and you give them, is it the same as alcohol? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that question. I, I know it's a bear to unwind though. And I know like guys come over from Afghanistan, they come back, they're newly married when they leave. It's like, you come back a little different. People want to put up with you less. And, and so then your, your closest one to you maybe leaves or like there's, there's all that kind of stuff. And so what, what do you think about like, I mean, it's kind of like when they talk about how we're going to do this thing with COVID and get the vaccine out to folks. I mean, the way that makes sense to me, it's like if everybody's over 70 that's dying, 
we give it to all the 70 year olds and older like i mean it's it's and so in that way and that just makes sense but like if you're if you are if you are in the service if you are a a, a combat athlete like football lacrosse hockey fighting what wrestling whatever i mean i've seen guys in, in rest just double leg and and hit the ground no head trauma unconscious and that's because you get I don't, and i don't know what that mechanism is where you go out quicker where your resiliency to stay conscious uh due to concussion they uh they studied this with fighters so what they found um that actually there's a natural selection for fighters so when the brain is tight in the skull and there's not a lot of room uh the brain gets like slosh so that's where they started looking at like why is it some people can take a punch and others can't when the brain is smaller and the skull is bigger and there's more distance then the brain ends up bouncing off of the walls of the of the skull and people get knocked out much easier but the problem is, is when your brain is tight in the skull and there's not a lot of slosh, obviously you can take more punishment, but the punishment's felt more in the brain because there's less distance. So they did a bunch of like, you know, uh, uh, cranial scans and all this of all these different, I think it was boxers, you know, try to figure out like, and you, you've seen it. I mean, dude, like I, I remember in boxing, like I could take a punch. I mean, a dude hits you solid and you're like, keep going. Other people take that shot and they go right down and you're like, and it's kind of a badge of courage almost. Oh, that guy can take a punch. That guy's I got a weak chance. I knocked out for a long time. I didn't think it was possible, you yeah. know, um, but uh, which is a crazy thing to say. I mean, think about how dumb a fucking kid is to have an idea like that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was the same way. I was like, man, I can take a punch. Yeah. And I've taken a ton. I take him on the chin, take, you know, you just think it's like a badge Whatever. of honor. From friend or foe. I mean, sometimes that's your buddy. Yeah. Um, but then but, but then that becomes the bigger issue because what they were looking at is like, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali and, you know, Parkinson's and all these traumatic brain injuries. And, you know, uh, who who is the guy? Steve, the guy from the Saints. Um, one second. Oh, up with like ALS. Yeah, Steve, yeah, Steve Gleason, who, who got ALS. Um, you know, Kevin, um, Kevin Turner, who I played with. I mean, all these guys and these dudes were all big hitters. Gleason, right? correct. Yeah, Steve, yeah. Yeah, Steve Gleason. So uh, there's like a badge of courage associated with it, but then it leads to these bigger issues. And then I think if, you know, we start talking about swelling within the brain and now you're adding opiates and alcohol and, you know, medicating with other substances, um, and, you know, and now all of a sudden you run into more issues. Abuse, Because like if, you know, us a couple of doctors, but if inflammation does stay present for that elongated period of time, you're not never... Once you begin, you're never not inflamed. You're never not at that hottest place to where you're susceptible because you're always competing at that level. I mean, you know, we, we know we're never really fully recovered on game day. No athlete is. You, you, you'd have to take two weeks off probably to get fully recovered. But we don't do that ever. And so, I mean, and then I think with head trauma, I'm like, yeah, man, fuck. A football player or something that like their heads are swollen probably all the time. Well, and, and then you think about like, um, I'll just give you a, um, when I was out in California and I went and saw Doc Yu who does all the stem cells and the exosomes and all the crazy stuff. He was the first one to ever diagnose my right knee with what I have going on with it. So uh, from all the extension and hitting the popliteus muscle that runs in the back of the knee, because it was swollen so much, it actually calcified. And then it, uh, the calcification of that muscle ended up putting a bunch of bone spurs and there's just a bunch of like, you know, they look like angry stalactites sticking into my knee. And so the back of my knee is always swollen. And because I can't get that muscle to relax, I've lost extension. 
And from there, the muscle, it's just stayed swollen for like 20 years. So he went through and he was ultrasound. He's like, dude, your popliteus is completely calcified. You can't straighten your knee. And I'm like, yeah, tell me something I don't fucking know. And then we x-rayed it and he's like, and it's created all of this different, all these spurs on the inside that are just creating more inflammation every time you bend your knee. Hmm. So I'm like, well, how do we get rid of it? And he's like, well, there's this thing we can do, you know, sound waves and we can inject it. And so he started a kind of a treatment protocol, but I mean, there's just a muscle that's been inflamed and, and had inflammation in it for 20 years that effectively crystallized and calcified to the point where I'm losing range of motion and I can't extend it and I can't get full, full flexion because of this. Think about your brain now. Now you're having full-time inflammation from, you know, uh, you know, acute and these like, you know, just this constant chronic brain trauma with a few big acute ones. And now all of a sudden you're, you're, uh, you know, calcifying it with alcohol pills, the whole deal. And that brain trauma, we don't know how long it takes to go down. And, and nobody's like, you know, cat scanning guys after games, nobody's putting them in hyperbarics. Nobody's doing, like you say, the NSC drips. Um, and it's just kind of like, well, they seem to be fine. Here's a couple beers. Like every, every plane I got on. So in the NFL, we would get off the bus when you got on the plane, you got your lunch and you got two beers. And then guys would like trade beers for painkillers. You know, like I'd be like, oh, I got these painkillers, give me two more beers. And we, you'd, you'd either be a beer drinker or a pill taker. And we yeah. tried not to do one, you know, both at the same time. But, you know, there's just an example. That's the uh, interesting uh, thing too, as you talk about your knee and the dysfunction as that expresses, you know, pain and lack of motion and this and that. But like, then right when you said that about then the brain cut and I'm like, yeah, and you think about that expression is like disorientation, confusion, and then all that subsequent irritability because you are like you're in a fear-based state now, kind of. You you're changing your whole consciousness slowly with that calcification. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, it's gnarly. I can't wait till they learn more, man. Well, I mean, the um the one thing that's with interesting with calcification, and I know um I've been going to seeing this doc, excuse me. Um because they have a machine that does uh, ultra or uh, uh, sound waves that'll break up uh, kidney stones. So they were like, well, if it breaks up kidney stones, it could break up the calcification in your knee. So I've been going and seeing this guy every week trying to get him to do this. And, uh, you know, will it work? I don't know, but this isn't my only stop. Like I'm going to keep trying to find new things as new things become available. And I think what happens all too often, um, and I, you know, I, I've, I've seen this with, uh, with Cal Turley to some extent where, you know, for him, you know, cannabis and marijuana, like, you know, fix something within his brain and allowed him to kind of cope and, you know, return to normalcy. Is but he the, the problem that does the co-hosting with, uh, with Tyson? No, that's, um, yeah, that's, uh, Britain, uh, you know, Kyle Turley's my, uh, one of my former teammates, he's buddies with him, but, um, you know, like with Kyle, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I, I realize cannabis has helped you get off pills and it's really been like, uh, you know, a savior for you, but it's, it's not just one thing. It just can't be just cannabis. It's got to be diet. It's got to be exercise. It's got to be all these other things. It's, it's going to be a, a, like a cumulative effect. That's like saying, hey, we're going to go win a Super Bowl with just a defensive back. You need an entire team of skills. You know, you got to continue to, to push this thing. And just because this one thing works today doesn't mean it's going to work tomorrow. So you have to continue to kind of push the envelope and figure out how you fix this thing. Yeah, there will be a thousand battles. And, and, and you might lose those battles, but as you keep battling, you can get, it's just, I mean, if you're, in, if you're you drop down on an arm bar and you go back and a guy's got his arm, you've got to battle to kind of get his hands, break him free. So you got to try a lot of different techniques to get that, to get that one arm bar. And it's like, I feel the same thing with this kind of healing, man, is that 
you know, and thank God I've got choices now. I didn't feel like I did before, but I felt like, I feel like there's like this way you can be either a victim where you go, eh, I'm waiting for the thing to not work. That didn't work. Or you can be like, yeah, this is a thing. This is going to, okay, this is, and you start building this thing. And it's like, it's like steps, man. It's like you start taking steps to build your legs stronger so you can carry yourself to the next thing to where the next healing factor will be. And, uh, and it layers on itself like that. Well, think about like a one-dimensional fighter. You know, I was thinking like, uh, you know, it's it, like the same in the fight game, right? If somebody comes in and they're, uh, you know, a real good judo player, but they're not a striker, right. you know, and all of a sudden they're going against another, you know, grappler, wrestler, judo guy. And they, you know, like look at Ronda Rousey was killing people. Then all of a sudden she goes against Holly Holmes who could throw her hands and just fucking right. destroy like peppers her face with just a bunch, you know, kept distance, didn't let her cover distance. And she hadn't, you know, it's not this, if she did, she had a bad stand-up game, but she went against a skilled fighter who was much better in that. And now all of a sudden you see the effects and it's just like, um, you know, that's what the thing I've always loved about, uh, you know, the UFC and MMA is that you have to be so balanced. Like you got to have your wheelhouse, but you have to be skilled in everything. Whereas in boxing, you just got to be able to move. And, you know, you can have a guy like Floyd Mayweather who fights as long as he has. And, you know, if you see at the end, they're like, you know, the guy punched him 40 times and he hit the other guy 400. Well, and then you look at boxing in the way that, it's like, you can be finished and we're going to go ahead and stand you up again if you can yeah. get up an eight. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, that's insanity. That's yeah. insanity, dude. I mean, unless you slip, but like, and that's why MMA is like more beneficent, right? It's kinder because you get dropped like that. You're going to get finished cleanly. And like boxing is like, nope, we're going to just go the slow here, stand right here. Don't get closer. We'll stop you. Don't get too far away. We want you right at bones distance to not and 16 break. ounce gloves. And I did, I, I know like, uh, I, you know, when everybody's like, Oh, MMA, I'm like the thinner gloves are yeah. by far uh, more healthy and like actually less violent because if you get hit, you open up, you go out faster. Whereas with those 16 inch and uh, dude, I've been hit with 16 ounce gloves and like you take these shots and they're constant. You don't necessarily go down and the dude doesn't break his hand. Right. The, the you way know? I visualize it is a basketball or a baseball. And if I'm standing behind you and I throw a basketball against your head, whoa, 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 whoa. There's that whole, a baseball just goes click and it's like, just bounces off the skull. It's not a thing, right? That's yeah. the difference with a 16 ounce glove and a, and a, a, this little MMA glove is only built to not break my knuckles on your, it's not for your safety, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I mean, the, so uh, what becomes the, the path for this? I mean, uh, you know, you were, you know, had, had an issue where, you know, you got knocked unconscious, but you, you'd have the cumulative effect and you kind of went through this, I mean, shit, dude, you went through the darkness, you know, you went through the fucking, the shadow of, you know, the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, the, you know, the darkest walk that you can take. And a lot of guys don't come out on the other side. Uh, you know, what was the, like, what was the driving light? What was the thing that you think helped you kind of get through this thing a little bit? Because like you said, man, driving around in the truck, just looking for a safe place to shoot yourself. Right. Uh, you know, was it, you know, was it your mom? Was it your family? Was this idea that, you know, live for something? Because I remember at the talk you gave at Summerstrong, and for those of you guys that weren't at Summerstrong, uh, you missed Tate's fucking talk, which was amazing, where he talked about, you know, the goal is to be useful and how you wanted to be remembered as being useful to your community. So what, what do you think was the, you know, the thing that pulled you through this interesting dark point? Um, you know, my friend, uh, Kyle Kingsbury, he says, um, 
during like the first few months of that he go i go i'm just i said i'm just really confused man i said it, it's like and to the confusion to the point where when i was supposed to leave when i got hurt i i didn't understand how to pack my clothing and i didn't know how to get my bag together to take it downstairs to the lobby to go to the airplane i i i just wasn't understand it was like that and uh and he says he says brother just follow your breath and sometimes your confusion is the direction in itself and and it, and it really turned out to be the truth because i think that when you're in a chronic traumatic experience like that that you, you do have to just kind of go okay what, what what how do i take it down to brass tacks and i'm just going to follow my breath and i'm going to try to you know you get assaulted by emotion by whatever you know tears come like all that stuff and you go this is just weather going by you got to get i mean the only thing you can do is attune your mind to not go insane for a while and you're just trying to hang on and and i don't know what the thing is yeah my mom's present there's this and that but it's like it just took time in, in a lot of ways. And then, you know, the motion that I could do, people would ask, oh, is hyperbaric helpful or whatever? It's like, it, it gave me a thing that I could do each day that I could walk towards my help. And in that way, I think there's a huge usefulness to that. And um, I, I look at that thing, you know, he brought up summer strong. I get, uh, I'm like, oh, I sink a little when I think of it because, um, I thought about what I wanted to do and I knew I could go in and I could do a podcast and that'd be great. And I was like, you ought to go in and you ought to present something to him. And so that's what my plan was in, in that way. But I was already, like I said, man, that, and that was before I got this last bang. Yeah. But the confusion was, I, it was, I was already not able. And I remember that inside that I was like in front of all these people and I go, this is fucking interesting. And I go, I don't know why you're in trouble, but you're in trouble. And, uh, and, and it went on and whatever. And I didn't know. And then, cause when my mom said, I'm so glad that you hurt yourself. Cause it got you looking at that. You're sick. It's like, I didn't know until in retrospect, thinking of that, I'm like, I was, I was getting shades of that because TBI, like you said, it takes all these years to come on. It's like a black cloud that encroaches slowly and the shadow starts to overtake you over a decade or a two decades or whatever it is. And that, that's my experience with it, man. And, and, um, were you already feeling it Where, uh, when, when you gave that talk at Summerstrong? Because I know when you got up there, yeah, you, you kind of like were kind of searching for it a little bit. And then all of a sudden you fucking found your groove, but it took you a couple minutes. You can and, see uh, hiccups, I'm sure. I didn't look at it again. I was just fucking, I was like, Cops, dude, it was a fucking great talk. <laughs> and I, I, dude, I fucking loved it. And I was sitting right there for you. Thanks, and I, and even when you were up there and I could see you working through it and like, we started fucking cheering for you just because uh, like, and, and I know this is weird, but um, uh, like something I've noticed within myself in terms of the growth is I've become like a fan of humanity. Like I want to see uh, like, I want to see the best in the world stand on stage and give their best performance. I want to be there and see you, you know, my friend stand up there and connect with people. Like I know you can, I want to see, you know, Neil Kamamura get up there and forge a knife and have like that moment, which I don't think will ever fucking happen again. You remember when he got up and forged that knife and was talking about his yeah. mom and the whole deal. Like to this day, like I still get chills thinking about it. And when I see him, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> dude, I, I like, like I saw him the other day and I was like, yo man, like I've been around a lot of shit and I've seen a lot of things and I've been like, I've lived an incredible life. Like if the big asteroid was coming at us and we see, I'd probably just sit down and be like, 
I lived a great life. Let it hit me. Okay. And uh, that moment, and I told him, and he was like, man, I, and he even said, he goes, I don't even remember what I said. I just had such an out-of-body experience. And, um, but like that fan of humanity to, you know, to go there and like what we do and to see people, you know, stand on the biggest stage and give their best performance and connect with people and let them see inside that, you know, you're just not some, you know, fucking guy who's got killed by, uh, you know, Ben couple, Affleck. Couple dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, fucking Ben Affleck over and over again. Uh, like, so... Yeah. Like that, that, that fan of humanity, like I, like I want to turn on the TV and see the best people in the world do their best. I want my friends to stand on the biggest stage. And like, I don't know if I was always like that. I don't think I ever had that range of issue where I just didn't give a fuck. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, it's a whole new thing. You look at Neil and, and you look at like, like, oh, what does he do? He makes knives. It's like, you think, I mean, in a way, it's like what Kyle said about following your breath. It's like distill it down to this beautiful thing of excellence that you do and how that that one little thing pounding this steel makes all this other beauty come, all this other consciousness that comes out of that, of him being on that and, and him talking through it, saying what's in his mind. Fuck, what a, what a gift that was. And so in this way, too, I look at this, especially since, you know, uh, 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 George Floyd and since... Um, all of this has happened, the transition of power, the weirdness where we are, all, all these things is like this acknowledgement, right? The weirdest thing I think is when, when you tell me something about you and I don't have a relation to that and I go, that's not real. You must, that must be you fucked up. And this idea now about going, everybody can have a different perspective. Nobody necessarily has to be wrong, but like, isn't it important that I look through somebody else's eyes to go, how is it that this experience is happening for them? If I don't understand how come you're like this, we don't have any, there's no brotherly love there. Well, that's empathy. And that's what it, we need to get to is that companionship. That's true. Well, that's, uh, that's empathy. Like that um, years ago, and you know, we, I talk about these crystal clear moments within college, um, you know, and I brought it up at nauseam as a rhetoric major, but I remember in one of my classes sitting down and uh, dissecting the, like, dissecting argument to the point where like Cicero and these guys wrote volumes on argument. And one of the key points I remember is to truly argue something, you have to have empathy enough to understand the other person's position. If you can understand their position within like, uh, you know, that personal space to like understand the granular level of it and put yourself in their, in their, in their shoes, then you can argue against them so much better because you understand the points. But if my you can't, would tell me, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, go on. Well, my, my, my teachers would tell me uh, like that, that's, that's the way to think. They go, bro, if you cannot argue intelligently and passionately for both sides of the argument, do you deserve an opinion? And, and, and that's a question that I'm saddled with, right? Like if I don't know it well enough to argue it on both sides, how do I, how do I, I've got error to say about this thing. Like, it's like, and it, it behooves me to look at both sides because in that I don't get married to my decisions, my outcomes and my answers. They're just what I found to be the, I'm, I'm looking for truth. I'm not married to what I've decided the truth to be. I have no idea. That's a mystery yet that unfolds each day. We try to walk towards, I think, but, but this idea that, uh, you know, the plasticity of my mind that I really benefit from that by allowing myself to have new ideas that I never thought of. And I never get that without the perspective of, of, of others being, and, and especially I think in this brain shit particular talk is to see guys like, 
like y'all be honest and be out front and going, yeah. I mean, this idea that if you're tough, you don't have problems or there's some, I, I don't know what the, there's a thousand fallacies probably around it, but it's like, um, I, I understand what glory is and honor is and integrity is. And I understand what brokenness is. And, and, and I understand what feeling like you just can't is. And, and, and being in those spots, man, to know that there, there, there's another way you can write yourself and to know that no matter how dark your past is, that you can make it useful to those that are coming behind you. If you write your ship and get it sound again. And isn't that the job is if I'm your friend to make myself sound so that you don't worry on me. And I know you have coaching experience. Do you foresee now in the future coaching others through emotions, life, finding themselves based off your journey? <laughs> I think yeah. Tate's going to start a mentorship program where people are going to reach out and uh, I know I'm in and I know Parsley's in and a bunch of our other friends are in to help people uh, start on this path. And yeah. I think like, you know, like we said, like the, you know, the journey of a thousand steps starts with a single step um, or a thousand miles starts with a single step fucking up these. But uh, if somebody has a problem, like, like we said, like the first step is realizing I have a problem. And then the next thing is once you have the problem and you identified it, reaching out for your lifeline, you know, reaching out to Tate or myself or whoever it is and being like, I need to fix this. Where do I start? So if somebody were to reach out to you, you know, as their mentor, as their coach and the person that's gone through this, you know, dark, you know, valley, the shadow of death, uh, where do they start? Like, what's the first piece? I mean, we've talked about hyperbarics. We talked about exosomes, stem cells, magnets, uh, you know, keto. cranial manipulation, keto, you know, physical training. I mean, what, uh, you know, um, you know, the oxygen induced uh, exercise thing I've been testing. I mean, there's so many things. What's the first stop? Boy, I, I think, um, well, if you got the benefit of having a loved one around, you know, count your blessings and, and they can cook for you and make sure, but like, and, and, and that's, that's been what it's been like for me. I've had a ton of help with uh, people going, okay, getting a hold of Doc Parsley, like, you know, love and no Kirk can't pick up, can't, I'm not, I can't have a conversation. I'm fatigued after I talk for 30 seconds. I, I just couldn't, I wasn't capable. And so where's the first stop, I guess, for me is like, it's got to be your nutrition. It's, it does have to be fish oil. I think you should take fish oil, you know, copious amounts all day long. You'll know the result is too much when you uh, shit your pants, but you ought to <laughs> like baby shits, but you ought to take it up to that edge and you ought to learn what that level is. Take this four times a day that um, keep fat levels in your brain going. You can do yourself a lot of favors. Ice uh, baths are disclaimer, uh, guys, uh, disclaimer, fish oil actually thins out your blood. So if you're taking a high volume of fish oil and you nick yourself, you could have problems. So just be real careful. If you're a first responder, don't take high fish oil. And I only know this because at one point we were recommending people to take like 30 grams a day. And I had a dude who cut himself shaving and had to go to the ER because he almost fucking bled out. Crazy. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. Go on. So, so I, I, yeah, thank you for that. Cause I, all the, but I, that's, that's what I did. And I, and I went into hyperbarics and in, in New Mexico here, it's, it's hard to find them. A place did just open, I understand, with a hyperbaric in town. But used to be I had to drive three hours and, and all that to get a hyperbaric here. Um, in L.A., easy. I went down the block. Uh, what was the protocol you, know, you did for the hyperbarics? I think I'll be, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, well, what was the protocol you did with the hyperbarics? Did you do it every day? Yeah, I went every day for about uh, between an hour and 90 minutes, depending on what kind of uh, uh, timing they had. So I went like five days a week six days a week. And, and then how, how long did you do that for? About the atmosphere and a half, I think is where you're at for the, 
for brain injuries is where they like to put you. Um, and then uh, I, I, I guess where somebody would start, it would depend on the severity of their in injury and, and, and what their post-concussive syndrome was like. But what I would do if you have any of it, if you have any brain fog, if there's any of that jazz going on, is um, I, would, I would go to the brain treatment center. You can go there for a couple of weeks for real cheap and find out if that helps you out at all. I don't know if it would have helped me if I was early on when my brain was really swollen. I don't know if I needed to get well enough to the point um, where I could take that treatment. I, I, I'm not sure what all the physiology is of that, but I, but I am in the discussion and I want to learn more and I want to find out more. And, um, and, and I guess the first step is knowing that you're not alone and that there's, there's, there's people out there. And yeah, what my dream would be is, uh, you know, I'd love to take caveman coffee to sale and, uh, and start a foundation that just focuses solely on this. What I'm going to do until that happens is, uh, you know, we're going to start a little um, dialogue and we're going to do a thing in December in Austin um, where we have a, like a mental health, uh, men's mental health kind of deal where concussions are going to be a big part of it. And we're going to come in and talk about that and, and, and get things going on that front. And I just want to, you know, now that I'm getting some more energy back, I want to be able to be useful to, to, to that, what you're talking about, man, because, you know, there's so much noise in the system, man. I, I want to, I want to add some nutrition to the system. Well, I feel like all too often, um, you know, to take this back to that idea of empathy, uh, people have their opinion and then what they do is surround people around them so that they create an echo chamber where everybody around you and they don't want to have conflicting. And I think what's happened, especially within social media is you follow the pages that, you know, subscribe to the information that you're most interested in. And then you just kind of create this echo chamber that effectively, you know, just polarizes people into one mindset. Uh, it's like, uh, every morning I get this, like the, it's the morning blast from the, uh, I think it's the New York times morning blast. And I consider the New York times to be pretty far left. And then I get some like Breitbart and I try to like, you know, look at a few different, I look at the wall street journal and I kind of get their morning blasts and I kind of go through and read their articles and, you know, try to get like a semblance of like every side of this thing. I want to see something left. I want to see something right. And then I want to see something in the middle and you see them all cover the same stories from their right. different vantage point. And it's like, you know, I'm reading the New York times deal. It's like, you know, we, uh, we lose 40,000 people uh, a year to a violent gun death, right? What they don't realize is the majority are suicide. And we, I think only like 250 people were actually killed with AR-15s. And like, it's pretty interesting to see them skin. And then when you break down the numbers, and you look at it. So to see this kind of like, that, that was just basically with this Colorado shooter, um, you know, seeing how they're spinning it. And you can kind of start seeing, like, if you look at all sides of this, you can kind of take a step back and understand, you know, people have their agendas, what's the real information, and more importantly, how should I feel about this? But I feel all too often, especially within social media, and even within our own lives, we just want to hang out and, you know, view and swipe and, you know, be filled with information that confirms our bias and basically just creates a bigger echo chamber. Well, the thing is, is I believe the fallacy that that echo chamber is correct, right? If you, if you are, if you have, if you share my bias, then we're hearing the right news. And if we're, we're all saying yeah. the right thing, then it yeah. confirms that we're all, oh, we're safe. We're, it's a thing of people cleaving to safety. The issue here is fucking independence is freedom. And if I'm to talk about what real fucking freedom is, it means that like, listen, like I said, it's not safe for my mom. I, I was a part of, uh, I was, I used to run security at this uh, gay bar back in the day. And they had this thing called women take back the night. And this was in the nineties. 
And where was, was like, this? Uh, was this in LA? In, in New Mexico. In New Mexico. And I go, I go, I, I come from Michigan. I don't know a lot. I mean, like I, I had, I didn't know any transsexuals or transgender. I didn't know the difference between the two. I didn't, I didn't know anything about. And so I go, what is this women spelled with a Y? Take back the night. What's that about? And uh, they go, well, it's you know, so women can feel safe and take back. I go, when have women ever owned the night? Like that's ridiculous. That's like saying there's not monsters everywhere. There, so, so to give out like we're gonna take it back as if like that's an insanity. You're saying I want to stand in danger and I want to be immune because people ought to be nice to each other. Well, there's fucking monsters everywhere. You ought to embolden yourself to be as strong, as aware, as conscious, and as supported by your community as you can all the time, because that's the only safety. And so now this thing about like, and I thought it would happen after all those uh, poor people, that psychopath, terrorist, fucking weirdo that went shot up all those Asian ladies because he liked to fuck and couldn't help himself or whatever his reason. Yeah, he know. was mad at the uh, well, like I go, Asian massage parlors. This. And this is not a gun issue. I mean, and so like, and I'm not like, I'm not like one of these nerds that's out there every day at the rank. Like, let's all post our pictures of my bench. I, I don't do any of that shit. But it's like, I, I feel like this. I feel like everybody ought to be able to have an AR-15. But I would like you to have the goddamn discernment and sense to not be some jackass that walks down to the Capitol is like, just expressing my rights. No, you've created a terrorist environment inside your own town. You're terrifying children and people. What the fuck is wrong with you, nerd? Dude, it's the same with the open carry stuff where I'm like, hey, I, I, you know, I have a concealed weapons permit and I, and I carry concealed. And I see people roll uh, like... On the uh, celebrating like, it well like on the outskirts of texas i i, I was hunting in uh, brady texas which is a little town and uh, we went down to this like local cafe to get some breakfast and there were a bunch of dudes in there uh you know just rocking pistols like ranchers farmers whatever like and it, seeing that doesn't offend me in any way right. uh in downtown and, austin like, it's in the correct place like yeah that like if you're in downtown place. austin at like a nice restaurant i walk in with my fucking glo like it's just like it's inappropriate and right. uh, I, and all it does is it makes other people nervous and people are doing it to try to listen a response. And I'm like, you're not doing it to, you know, safety because, you know, you're going to draw from concealed right. just as fast. You and I are large men. And so we go around and we go, Hey, if, if this guy over here starts yipping, he looks like a chihuahua. If I start yipping, they call the police. And so like, the thing is, I think going around big, you go, Man, I'm, I'm here to take care of people. I want safety and I want people to feel comfortable around me, not less comfortable. You know, a cop friend of mine told me, he goes, you know, if you're carrying a pistol around, he goes, nobody should know you have that pistol until there's bullets inside their body. Yeah. And I go, that's a good rule of thumb, probably. You know, because if I'm going to pull that thing out, that's it's end times for somebody. You yeah. know, I've got a lot of other assets before I pull that pistol out. If that pistol's coming out, then that should be a wrap. I need to be decisive, efficient, and safe in the execution of that. And, and, and all this posturing, and I'm gonna scare people with this or brandish, like that's, that's some insanity shit. But I think the thing about it being the appropriate place is very important. You know, I travel a little bit, I go to Brazil, I appreciate the beachwear at the Brazilian uh, beach. You and me both. It, it, okay, and so then I go, okay, I go to Hawaii, I go, well, it's international, Australia's there, a lot of people, I'm like, still like, yeah, all right, you know, this, you know, but not quite Brazil style, but it's like pretty good. Uh, dude, uh, like, I, like, I've been to Copacabana and Ipanema Beach. And first of all, the first point we walked out and realized that uh, like, it was hilarious. We saw like a little girl who was probably six, uh, the mom who was probably 30, who was a smoke show, mind you. And then she was with the grandma and they were all wearing the same 
g-string string bikini so like the grandma was rocking the same like it was the weirdest thing i've ever seen and then i realized like the dudes are you know it it just yeah but the dudes uh, are the dudes are tiny panties too I yeah. mean, that's, and they only know you're an American because you got board shorts on like a nerd. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they were like, I mean, these dudes were wearing like, uh, you know, dude, I was banana like, hammocks. Uh, yeah. And totally. I mean, and they were all super fit. Like there was a whole and, little workout it, station like before you get out their, there. That's part of their macho. That banana hammock is like the dude that walks around the gym like this. That, yeah, that I mean, there it's like, it's just normal. It's like, that's their shit. But my point is then you go to LA and you go, what are the Puritans over here, ladies? Yeah. Jesus. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just like where we're at dictates, you know, and so this idea of safety, it's like I'm safe to different degrees in different places, man. And it's on me to be aware of that and to take myself safely. It's not upon somebody else to make sure and attune to my safety. I don't know. And because that's the only real thing there is. Right. If I, I, I can't I can't get anybody over themselves. I can't get you your own freedom. Everybody's got to crawl that their own. I mean, I, I've tried to help guys shave years off of a MMA experience by going, okay, you can just work at the gym. I, I'll, I, you know, I'm supporting these guys in these different ways by not making them clean the toilets and, and do all the shit. I ruin those people. Like there's a, there's a responsibility in allowing people to break themselves. There's a need for that to happen because otherwise when they come into tomorrow, they don't have as strong legs as they needed to carry it. And now they have to front as if they are something that they're not. And, and that's where you lead to the dysfunction, I think. It's like if we all could just really own our own merits and then work to get better skill acquisition, fuck, instead of thinking about like, I need somebody to make me safe, crazy. One of my ex-girlfriends was raped a long time ago, 15 years ago. Dude's getting out. She cried at every parole hearing that he ever went to. She never took jujitsu class, never learned to shoot a gun. She still feels as helpless as she felt from day one. Okay, you chose to feel helpless. I, I believe uh, everybody has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in this country. Everybody has the right to live the life that they want. The problem is, like you said, there's monsters everywhere. And if you don't prepare for those monsters and those bad people, like unfortunately the world is not a kind and gentle place. And there's people that don't think like that and are gladly to fucking ruin your day and ruin your existence. So you can either be upset about it or you realize that my ability to to live life in the pursuit of happiness and for me to live my life requires a certain, I guess, activation on my part, not only physically, uh, proficient with not only my hands, but all these other things, because that uh, that eff- effectively gives me the freedom to live the life that I want unimpeded by fucking assholes. And because it's your goddamn duty as a citizen, like they told us way back when, right? It's my duty. It's my duty to carry myself well as a citizen, as an example. And that should be people should feel safe around me. People should feel that there's kindness. People should feel, I mean, I can I get to make a, I get to either make people feel terrorized or I get to make them feel empowered, you know? And, and that's, that's my choice as a person to make going out. And I, and I think we all got that choice. You know, dude said one time he was asking about being a hero and he goes, I'm not a hero, man. There's no heroes. He goes, there's choices. And who are you going to be in this choice? And something happens and you have to make a choice. He goes, that's where heroes are in every choice, everyday choice, you know? And, and, and that's really where I look to, you know, like when, when you go to like, where's the first place of healing is like, is going, where can I be helpful? You know? And, and, and your mind starts going to where you can be helpful. And then that, that, that kindles a, a purpose in your heart. 
And I've never been more miserable than when I didn't have a purpose. So even being as sick as I've been, to be able to curate a purpose uh, was, was a huge thing to know that like, okay, I keep walking and what I'm walking towards is gonna help carry somebody else along. Just the knowledge that somebody else could do it, you know? And maybe that's the starting point, I don't know. We, we have a guy who's been on the podcast, uh, who's a cap in Dallas that works with the paraplegics. Uh, basic. Yeah. Um, so we had a guy on the podcast, Ryan, uh, Ryan basic. And, um, he has a treatment center up in Dallas where he works with like, uh, paraplegics and quadriplegics and people that said, Hey, they were never going to walk and, you know, could find a wheelchairs. And then he brings them in and he's got an amazing, uh, amazing practice. So we met the guy through, uh, Cal Dietz RPR. He reached out, uh, he came on the podcast. I uh, started following him on like Instagram and social media. And if I ever feel sorry for myself, like, ah, oh, you know what, like my knee hurts or my shoulders banged up or this, or I feel sorry for myself for all the work that I have to do or the things I can't do. I literally just click on this dude's uh, Facebook or like, I'll, I'll see it pop up on, on a feed or something. And like, he's over there, like helping quadriplegics that haven't walked in years, take like one inch a step and like the, the, the excitement and the joy and like just the passion within their faces and like mm -hmm. how he, like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, fuck, I have nothing to ever complain about. And, um, you know, the, the thing about it is if we just live in our echo chamber, where we're only surrounded by certain things. We get this, woe is me. And you see this and be like, I don't even know what real fucking struggle is. I'm like, I'm bitching because I can't, you know, I got a bone stop or I, I got a calcified muscle in my knee that won't let me squat below 90 on my right knee. And I'm bitching about that on this back squat because I can't get enough depth on my right side. And this dude's working with a guy who's trying to take a one inch step and literally like they spend six months in tears and, you know, crying, you know, this whole fucking process. And I'm like, holy shit, like, uh, like perspective is everything. And the problem is, is if we don't search for those other perspectives, or we don't surround ourselves with people True. It's kind of like, um, and then you know what, I'm, I'm so guilty of this. Like in the NFL, you, you end up living, I'm sure fighters are very similar and, and actors. You end up living in this little bubble where all your friends are NFL players. So you yeah. think that everybody's an NFL player and you live in, and you don't really deal with what we call civilians or normal people that much, unless they're your family. And you know, you travel and you work out and you're stuck in this little bubble. So these are all your friends. And you're like, what do you mean? Not everybody benches 500 pounds Not everybody's six, six, not everybody can run and do these things. And, um, and you kind of get stuck in this little echo chamber where you're surrounded by these like individuals where everybody's kind of a, you know, a superhero in sorts. And now all of a sudden then you get out and you see things like this and you realize like, fuck, I don't even know what struggle is when I see stuff like this. Sure. Well, I think when that's happening too, right? I think a professional athlete, you got to take a different line with because I can't be around anybody else because I need to be supported and around people that are trying to crush me, that makes me better, that are trying to give me skills. I give them skills. I need to be in that conversation fully is what I always felt like at that time. I don't know if that's true anymore. Maybe that's not true. It is. Yeah, but that's, why, that's why I did that, I think, you know. But that's um, the old uh, iron sharpens iron. You know, the right, problem is, right. is that, you know, the iron has to be as hard as you. Like you can't sharpen, you know, I, you know iron doesn't sharpen on foam. You know, right. so you look for other people of equal size, equal strength, equal temperament. And that's how I sharpen myself. Yeah. And, and thank God that there's those avenues for us. I mean, otherwise that's uh, comes out in different ways. You know, um, I, I think the uh, that whole aspect of um, finding that community, though, then and being a useful asset afterwards, you're going, OK, I am this 
odd integer that doesn't fit into a lot of community other places doesn't mean that that's not even a more of an asset to that community right and I this re-engineering of myself of going okay who are you now you know because you're, you're not running after the same things you are who are you now and how do you how do you engender that fully like how do I really uh support that nutrition in me especially now with this fucking new brain is because I go man what is it that um if I put garbage in I'm going to get garbage results it's like I mean, can I ask for a safety police for that? Can you guys stop putting garbage in the, in the system so I don't have all this fucking garbage in my, like, I, I'd rather not have all the high fructose corn syrup. Can somebody save me? Please, somebody save me. Can you put the handcuffs on high fructose corn syrup? Oh, you can't? Well, maybe we should all get safe everywhere we can and think a fucking little, you know? And and, and when we go into, into the other place, it's like, there's only there's only slavery there. All this stuff, it has to be empowerment. How do you get better? Where's the first thing? You've got to get some empowerment. You, you, you got to start to grow in that place where it's like, yeah, these doctors are telling me no, because that's what they're going to tell you. The insurance company is not going to help me. They're going to tell me no. Do I stop there? At what point do I stop? And, and, and I guess that's what the brain injury, I got to a place of stopping where I, I want to stop myself. And, and I thank God at that point, when I got to the that point there was a there was a pivot i don't know that i could have pivoted before that um but it all comes in in, in time i mean I, I believe in these supernatural forces of the universe too a lot of people call god or or whatever this or that but i think there's universal truths and laws that are in balance and are in play that like the right things come at the right time i've had a lot of stuff taken from me that didn't pan out that i thought fuck that would have been the best thing and it wouldn't have been if that thing would have happened this next thing wouldn't have happened. And so I don't, I try not to judge all that shit and just try to be, okay, God, where can I be useful and purposeful? Please help me. You know? When you were talking about junk and you went to high fructose corn syrup, I was also thinking of like uh, mental junk and yeah. things that people do to distract them. Kind of like, uh, like video games or porn. Like I, I, I'll tell you this, uh, Steve Weatherford, who we've had on the podcast and he's, you know, like a, you know, former punter and, you know, just a super interesting cat. But he had this whole thing where he was like, I was addicted to porn and it was this incredible distraction. And he's like, it was like opiates and porn. And he kind of went through this list of all these things that he was using as uh, like just kind of distractions. And when you said like poison and garbage and you talk about high fructose corn syrup, I was thinking on the other side, I'm like media. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. media, like being distracted oh, by fucking flipping through cool. Instagram, you know, just looking at chicks cool. with nice butts, which if you, really want to get stuck in Instagram, all you have to do is just like get on that algorithm. Yeah, good curve on Instagram. Oh, dude, uh, I like, I'm like, where, where are all these nice, like, like, I'm just amazed at the amount of girls on Instagram with nice butts. And I'll tell you this, right. like that, like I could probably fall into that trap for at least an hour or two, but like, that's a trap. I mean, porn's a trap, um, sure. uh, you know, video games. I'm just thinking about like, what are, though I think isn't even as deadly is the trap of like Breitbart of the trap of Rachel Maddow of the trap of Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever the fuck your flavor is. All of those people do the same thing. And the thing to listen for, the trap, like when I go, I want to have a centered view. So I, I read the New York Times and I read that. Like, man, all I look for, everything is an op-ed now. It used to be that opinion editorials were a thing that was a certain section. Now every reporter thinks they have valuable shit to say instead of just giving us information because that's how commerce is done. But what I listen for, how do I, how do I filter that shit? Who's blaming? Who's pointing fingers? And whenever anybody's going, well, this side and that, I go, ah, we're playing that game. You got, you're playing gotcha. Okay, cool. I'm not in that game. 
that's that's a child's game. You're doing eighth grade childhood uh, refer like out on the recess area type games with all of our consciousness because people think that you're saying something valuable and all you're doing is pointing a finger trying to inflame. And so now I look at these guys. I, I used to watch like that fucking dolt uh, bootlicker uh, DC Drano or whatever. And I thought <laughs> I want to hear what all the crazy people are saying, you know, and whatever or Donald Trump Jr. All those guys do is blame. They all blame everybody. It's the same that, that Joe Biden does. Anybody that ever wore a t-shirt for a president, maybe never vote again. Maybe don't have kids. Because Jesus Christ, man, if you're on the side of the people that are in the highest power that hold the trigger on all of us, you're on their side. Just mm, let me just lick your shoes off. Let me get, oh, you're the great. You're insane. Yeah. You've been tricked into thinking that these people are on your side and that you have any business doing anything other than holding your hand around the throat of power. And if you think that that power is your friend, you should shoot yourself because you are fucking broken. That's ridiculous. And so like, this is the thing is like we, oh, my side won. All I know is I vote for pedophilia, racism, misogyny, no matter which side I vote on, no matter what circles I circle. Knowing that I go, I hope I did it right. But the people that walk over there go, I know I did it. Those are, I'm terrified of those people. Those are the same guys that are at the Capitol. Those yep. are the same guys that are, that are, that are talking about, I wanna turn my, my son into a girl. I know they're four, but they like the color pink. So that means this. I mean, it's like, we're in a crazy world. Yeah, no, I, I like to, to this day, I still think that that capital and, and this is just a funny conspiracy. Uh, I, I still think that all of those people that went to the capital were paid actors. Because the, lev I, I, I because the, the level of ridiculousness, I'm like the idiot with his face painted and like the right. like like the bullhorn hat and like the furry oh, vest. I'm like, uh, what do they call him, the QAnon shaman? I I seriously was like, are these fucking actors? Is, 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 it, is it uh Greg Anderson, the cop from Seattle that was let go? Yeah, solid dude. All that. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was he on Andy's said, podcast. He said afterwards, he said, "This is like this isn't us. This is blah 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 blah." And then it turns out a day later, and I looked at that and I go, hey, that looks right because these people are fucking wackadoodle, right? Yeah, they're crazy and, people. Then, and then we wait one day and we look at their timelines for the last 10 years. And these are wackadoodle right wing fucking people. They're not paid actors. They're not Antifa. They're fucking crazy people that are on the edge of your party, bro. And so this. At least Antifa is smart enough to wear masks. These guys are like not wearing masks. Antifa is a thing that the news made up a name for. There's not like a website of Antifa. There's not a group meeting hall. There's, it gave a bunch of uh, otherwise listless nerds that had a propensity for violence to put on black hoods and go out and do work. But they, they made, that's not like a grassroots group that grew up. It ain't the Boy Scouts. It's not the fucking Elks Club. It's a thing that after South Carolina, the media said Antifa, anti-fascist against the Tiki Torch guys. They're just normal, regular fucking people. Two weeks later, Antifa was all these guys dressed in black with lead pipes beating the shit out of people on the West Coast. Yeah. Like, it was, it's amazing. And so anyway, I'm, I know I'm in the middle of a psychological operation. That's a whole nother discussion. Greg Anderson saying that these guys are, um, are, are otherwise not, they're not Trump people, they're Antifa. That it, I get it. I get it like that Kyle Rittenhouse that went up and he shot a dude through the face, right? Because the guy was defacing a building. He's 17 years old. He goes up to Wisconsin from Chicago, carries a weapon that can't cross state lines, especially not by a minor. His mom drives him. Felony, felony, felony. He gets up there. There's a guy defacing a building. 
So he shoots him in the head, kills him. And then he runs with his, with his weapon down the street, waving at cops, cops are waving at him. Dude comes, whacks him with a skateboard. He kills that guy. Another guy hits him, he shoots him through the arm. Both of those to me are good shots, except that you're there under felonious intent from the very beginning. My point is this, you're a 17 year old kid. You poor son of a bitch. You got to wear murders on you the rest of your life now. Yeah, that was like, always my deal. Like is Why, why did you even put yourself in the middle of that? No, thing? no, no. Because who's culpable for riling you up? You don't think well. So what I'm saying is to the right, left side, whatever. If you're saying crazy fucking shit that is volatile and inflammatory and angry and violent, and you think, well, people are measured like me. And so they want to go and do that. No, dickhead. The edges of your group are insane. You can't fucking talk loose if you're in a position of leadership because now who's culpable for those guys doing those things? Those guys are fused and their fuses lit from somebody. And I'm not saying who, but I'm saying that I'm not saying I want somebody to go to jail. I'm not saying I'm not that guy. What I'm saying is I want all the fucking people that have a voice that are there. Goddamn, use some regulation with your fucking voice. Have some discernment. You're only, you know, the reason I stopped following a lot of these guys is because the only reason they put things out is to inflame and, and, and get people fucking riled up if you're looking for an emotional response and it's different than love because you put a puppy up if you want an emotional response to get people fired up and that's what you're posting fucking miss me man you don't deserve a voice you just don't because that adds chaos to the system it's not solution you're just fucking looking for attention and you're doing it by destroying the fucking fabric of society but i don't really have opinions about this (laughs) no i mean dude it's uh I think that they figured out. Sorry, uh, <laughs> they figured out long ago that uh, fear was a better, uh, yeah. like was a better drug than truth. I mean, well, that, it uh, lied. They talk well, about like, it in social dilemma. Lies spread like eight times yeah. on the internet. They measure it than yeah. than truth does. So you only have lies, and and like and that's the problem is that most of us don't understand that we're mostly looking at lies. Well, the uh, um, actually another New York Times that I just read uh, two days ago said that a Dartmouth professor analyzed how the media was portraying COVID. And their negativity in every newscast across all media outlets was like far greater. Even when there was a positive, hey, the curve's coming, it was still negative, negative, negative. And it was like a, a multiples of, of, you know, whatever it was, the X, that of negative, uh, you know, slanting. And this was a huge fucking problem because there's, you know, because you have a guy like, let's say Trump was like, oh, this is all bullshit. Well, if you believe that, then you're on one side. And if you hate Trump, then everything he says is a lie. So now all of a sudden I have to believe this. And so you get people that are, you know, hey, I sit on, I, I think Trump's an asshole. I don't believe in anything. So then therefore it has to be orders of magnitude greater than what he says. And well, like, and then the predictions. Because oh, in time. that, if people do that and they try to go this side to that side. But what about the contradictions? Okay, let's say COVID uh, came from, uh, uh, a fruit market as opposed to a viral lab that makes total sense that's probably yeah okay well we'll, we'll assume that okay and then we, we go on and then i'm in a hotel room for all these months doing these treatments in california i have a plane ticket home for new year's and i don't make that plane because i get covid on christmas eve whatever i get the chills and shit and it goes away and uh but i get an email from southwest that says hey we're going to open middle seats now this is juxtaposed with all the news saying we're going to have a surge come it's going to be horrible blah 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 blah. and then i get an email saying we're going to open middle seats and i was like too soon southwest what the fuck and then i look at i live by the costco ten thousand people in the parking lot at any time day or night always 
packed, nuts to butts full. I, I fucking don't go on that airplane, but I ride a couple weeks ago to go to a Comic-Con in Florida. Again, everybody's fastidious about the mask. You got to do it this. Everybody's a policeman for everybody else. And they are fucking breathing in each other's ears, packed right together. And so why are we, A, why are we not all dead on the plane? And B, why is it that we have a looseness and a levity with big corporations, airlines, Walmart, Costco, et cetera, and my, and my brother's restaurant has to go to business? How come film business is essential and my homie's bar goes out of business? We have to shut down two bars in Chicago. What, so, and, and nobody's dying at those bars, but in the movie, I get an email every day that says somebody else is sick with COVID on set. Like, and so there's none of it makes sense. So inside of this, I go, well, what's behind all that? It's not, a, it's, so that's why I get distracted by this thing when people are like, oh, there's, it's the party line. It's this party line. No, man, there's a, there's a bigger thing happening here. And it's not a party thing. It's a control thing. And it's a crushing of the middle class thing. When Biden talks about a $15 pay increase, he never mentions those small people. He mentions Walmart who I think should pay. I think they've been horrific to society and I can't believe how city governments suck their dicks to get their stores in their places. They, they ruin every city they're in. They'd knock out at least 15 to 30 stores out of every footprint they make. And then they keep all their workers in poverty. For sure they should pay $15 an hour. But I know everybody else is a small business owner that goes out of business if you do that. And so what, so what are we talking about? Are we talking about the crushing of the middle class? or what, you know, and that, and so I look at those bigger pictures and that's not a Trump thing. That ain't a Biden thing They're, I mean, all of them are doing that same shit. So what are we talking about? What? And so again, I go back to the only place we're saved is by community, by all of us going, do we agree that this is the truth or is Tate crazy or, or whatever? I mean, cause it is a time for understanding. It is a time for a spiritual revolution. Like you were talking about. Well, uh, the, the other one is, uh, at what point did people start wholesale believing everything that everybody says? Right. Like, that's a weird one for me. I'm like, ah, dude, I remember uh, the age old believe none of what you hear and half of what you see, right. you know, right. like I, I just assume everything I hear, it's usually easier when I hear a politician speak and I, I forgot who said it, but it was like, uh, politicians are a lot like diapers. They should be changed as often as possible. Uh, you know, it, it's it, like, whenever I hear, I, I hear Biden speak and you hear Trump and you know, whoever it is, I just assume it's all bullshit. And you know, my wife's like, well, that's convenient for you. I'm like, no, if I assume it's bullshit, then what I have to do is then if I start Mark to, Twain, Mark John. Twain, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, politicians <laughs> are a lot like diapers. They should be changed often. Uh, but yeah, uh, like the, the, the idea oh, of, and there's one more point, John, you're going to like this. And for the same reason, yeah. And for the that's same what reason, he's got. that's right. Uh, the, if you kind of, if you know, if you listen, I think, Oh fuck, this is all bullshit. Then at least then I can kind of move forward and be like, all right, if everything I'm hearing is a lie now, all of a sudden I have to discern and look for truth. The problem is, is that people, you know, have this wholesale belief in terms of like this demagogue where everything that comes out of this person's mouth is accurate. And I'm like, well, none of what they're saying and their position of power, isn't at all based upon your success. Right. Like, uh, you know, Trump's, uh, you know, way. yeah. I've and it's never felt like the cops or the government or any, I've always known they're not on my side. I've known that from the beginning that made me not be heartbroken. I mean, I feel like all these people right now are going, can't believe the government's up to something. <laughs> <laughs> Where you guys been, man? Yeah. <laughs> well, are you a trusting soul? 
Well, the, the, the other one is I'm like, didn't we get prepared for this COVID deal? Isn't this the plot of every single Mission Impossible? Right. Isn't there like some super virus that's getting released by some supervillain? Oh, not know, everyone, John. Three, isn't there, isn't four, there five. <laughs> yeah. like, isn't there a vaccine that's going to make zombies so we can have a real Walking Dead? Ah, uh, dude. I uh, like uh, to, to go back to the point you said. You know, like with the vaccines, um, somebody was like, "Hey, you need the vaccine." I'm like, "No, give it to old people. Give it to people." Like, if we get to the very end and there's left, then give it to the healthy people. But like, there's people that are. Well, they, they called me and my mom was dying to get it. And and I, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want that really because I don't want to get sick. But um, my mom wants to get it. I, and I, and the, we have the same doctor. I go, why are you guys calling me? You haven't called my, yeah, mom. Call my mom. She's 74 years old. And they go, well, this is the Johnson and Johnson's. And I go, so? And she goes, well, they, we think the Moderna would be better for her. And I go, why is that? They go, well, it's got better efficacy. I go, the one that has no human trials that we have four months of results on of what it's like in a human body, that's the one that has more efficacy. Okay, if that's true also, why do you want to give me the shitty one? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, my, my mother-in-law, uh, my mother-in-law waited to get vaccinated to come see the kids. So she didn't see her kids for about a year and a half. And so she showed up and we had a, a birthday party for my son who turned five. And it was at this place called High Five that is bowling and video games and laser tag and shit. And um, it was the first time she had been to an event inside, like came to something inside, like we had, you know, the kids reading pizza and shit. And uh, in like a year and a half. And so she like, after like 30 minutes, she just like went outside and I was like, you're right. She's like, it's a little overwhelming in this. I'm like, you've had the vaccine, you're gonna be okay. But the thing is, is like, how do you retrain people to trust? Like we've effectively, you know- uh, Everybody has PTSD. Well, yeah, it, it's this like idea that like the silent killer, like, you know, it, it's so deadly. You don't even know your habit and yet you could bring it to me and then I could die, I could bring it in the house. And, you know, now we're distrusting of everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and, you know, well, now we're going to cover their mouth, ma- uh, you know, then, then you wear a mask, which is interesting because I always thought that the eyes were the window to the soul. But after seeing people wear masks all the time, I can't tell shit from their eyes. Right. It's you tough. Know? It's tough. And, and, and that And that becomes the whole... Uh, one of my buddies uh, does jujitsu in uh, Hermosa Beach, uh, like in the South Bay. And he just like, uh, he texted me. He's like, man, um, the chick that plays Superman uh, or Supergirl on DC right? Um, on, uh, the, on the CW, she yeah. was in his jujitsu class, but she was wearing a mask. And he, he like asked his sensei, he's like, hey, who was that blonde girl? And he like sent her the picture. He's like, God damn it, these masks. I can't believe I didn't recognize her. I love that show. And uh, so he texted me about it. And I was laughing. And he's like, I can't tell shit from a mask. The, the eyes aren't the window to the soul. <laughs> well and it takes an impersonal you know when people are like oh do they have one on or all the judgment all the everything it's like there's a huge ptsd aspect of people where um we got to come together but like when you talk about the virus i know three of my homeboys died of fentanyl overdoses and three killed themselves in this last uh covet experience mm-hmm. we've had right i know one person that got covet and died it was my my homeboy's father-in-law and, and that's, so that's one person removed. I don't know anybody that, that died of COVID, thank God, but I know that they died of these other things, but we're worried about COVID. If I saw somebody at the store with whooping cough, it looks fucking horrible. I would go, I would suck a dick to get the vaccine now. Like I would be like, I'm not having whooping cough. Yeah. COVID hasn't shown up like that in my life. I don't know if it has in y'all's life. It uh, hasn't shown up I haven't met anybody uh, that's I, I, died. And, yeah. and, but, but then I talked to my neighbor who's uh, uh, diabetic and not in good shape. And she right. said that a friend of hers in one family lost 28 family members to COVID. Oh my Lord. So, so she's Irish, like- Irish Catholic. 
What's a lot of, I mean, that's a lot of family. That's all I'm well, saying. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, like, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know if they're Baptists or whatever it is, but she said one of her friends uh, within like one family she knows, they lost 28 people. And I, and of course I'm like, were they obese? And she's like, oh, they were real fat. Yeah. You're like, and they then, all ate over the same kitchen. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I mean, if when, when they break down, you know, people with pre-existing conditions, elderly and people that are, you know, over a BMI of certain and right. physically unhealthy, like that becomes that population. But I like, I don't know anybody and I'm sure somebody listens to podcasts going to send me like, Oh, you know, all these people. Of course, man, and, and we're not being insensitive. That's not the point of this. The point is, is that we have confusion. If you've got some confusion that makes you a conspiracy theorist, yeah. which, which is fucking really weird. You know, everybody I know got sick from taking whatever virus or vaccine they took all of them. My mom thought she was going to die. My friend fucking went blind for a couple hours. Uh, another friend that was going to drive, couldn't drive, had to stop and get a motel right at the spot and stay there for two days. All this shit. But you don't see any of that public. It's, it like, it's like you're getting a vitamin C shot. Yeah. And it's like, just that you can't talk about the negative aspects. Make, is not that, that make anybody wonder? Hank Aaron, uh, you know, they were trying to promote uh, Harvard, vaccination. Harvard Hitler died two days after the shot. Um, well, same with uh, Hank Aaron. They um, they were talking about you know uh, how they were as a disproportionate amount of Afri or blacks getting uh, vaccinated. Right. Blacks so they brought on like a bunch of sports celebrities down in Atlanta <clears throat> to get the vaccination, and Hank Aaron got it. And two days later, he was gone. Yep. You know, Marvis Mar uh, Marvis Marvin Hagler, who's still to this day one of my favorite fighters, best in the world. Yeah, I mean, dude, I remember as a little kid watching those uh, Sugar Ray Leonard fights with him. Unbelievable. Yeah, watching beat Sugar Ray's ass and then get robbed at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, dude, I, I remember those fights. I yeah. did. I remember like getting a like, little boy watching that one. Yeah, dude, that was, uh, I remember sitting there watching my dad and all of his friends come over. And then, I mean, dude, that's one of my early memories. But, uh, but they're not. That. This is my this is my first podcast in a couple of years. And you all have uh, powerful bladders. But um, <laughs> I'm going to need to wrap it up. Okay. Well, uh, Tate. Dude, that was uh, well. One, uh, one. I'm stoked to uh, do the event in December. We're talking about mental health and and concussions and all that. Like that's what we ch we connected on yesterday. So when we get more on that event, we'll put it out on the podcast and we'll put it out. And maybe you'll come back on and we'll do a little pre blast to try to see if we can get mm -hmm. some people to come in and discuss it. And um, yeah, man, we're gonna have uh, Joe, who's Doc Parsley's buddy, on the podcast real soon to talk about hyperbarics. Yeah, Joe Dirte. Fuck, I love him. He's a great guy. And yeah, what we. We just saw him today, and I was like, "Dude, we got to get you on the podcast because the you know, that dude knows more about hyperbarics than yep and, and fucking terrible hair uh, than any person I've met." I mean, but unless yeah. from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, unless he's stuck in the eighties. Metal hair, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Man's rocking it. Yeah, so we're cool. gonna have him on, but uh, dude, it was uh, it was great to connect. Always a fucking pleasure well, and great to, to recharge. I'm in the space too, and I thank you for always. Uh, holding the line out there for me, brother. It really feels good to know you are. And, yeah, man. I'm always here for you. I look forward to the next stuff too. <clears throat> Tate, I've got a great book recommendation. I, I gifted John it, but Jordan Peterson's new book, it's called Beyond Order. And I'm currently in the second law that he presents. And I feel this, this spoke out, but it's simply imagine who you could be and then aim single-mindedly at it. Yeah. And I heard a lot of the, the this principles in which you speak drawn from that law it's not taking in the garbage literally food wise or media wise focusing on your community and how you can empower it both as an individual and then the groups that you can touch so i would recommend that book man deep dive that, into that and and i'm 
fortunate again, man, to, to, to meet you again and man, look forward to it again. And I look forward to being face to face, man. I can't wait. Yeah. To uh, any chance you're going to make it to summer strong? It's May end of May. Yeah. May 21, 22. April, May, you know, May I could make as far as I know right now. Yeah. So who, who knows if I can, I'll come and right. uh, it'd be great. Well, you're going to, you both are going. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to all go. Uh, we'll get an Airbnb. If you want to crash with us, I'll get an extra room. Yeah, man. Um, and then, I'll, I'll um, keep that loose, but I, I really wanted to get there. I want to get there for Doc's birthday party too, but um, I think I'm, I'm going to be at work for that. But well, no problem, dude. Uh, yeah, we're, I think we're about that, what you say about Jordan Peterson, man, I, I, that's one of the things that, you know, being broken, I go, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's not what I would like to be, right? But then I go, okay, who's a guy that five years older than you that you would look up to? Now start being him, you know, start being that guy. Walk towards what that guy would be like. And, and, uh, and I, I like that. I, I'm looking for books to support that. So thanks a lot for the suggestion. Power Athlete Nation, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Premier Podcast and Strength Conditioning Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Bye. Scene. Thanks, Scene. dude. Thank you so much. Really great spending the morning with you. Dude, uh, just when I heard like the excitement and the clarity in your voice when you called me yesterday, uh, like, yeah. dude, I fucking was like cloud nine because I, got, I remember I got grinning so hard when you're like, hey, let's do this in the morning. I was like, that's right. I'm going to save this energy. Yeah, no, dude. Well, we, we started going down the rabbit hole and I'm like, dude, yeah. save this. Let's get on the podcast tomorrow yeah. because man, like, uh, uh, dude, I've gotten so many, like too many of those phone calls and, uh, it just fucking like, uh, like I become like, um, you know, like my kid walking on, you know, like a broken glass where you're like scared, like I can prevent this stop. you know, like that same kind of nervous feeling. And to hear your voice yesterday, as soon as I heard like, Hey, what's up? I was like, Oh shit. It was completely different. So I'm stoked to get in and talk more about it. And dude, anything you need from me, man, we're always here for you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I look forward to hugging you both. Awesome. We'll see, see you soon, you. amigo. All right. All right. Bye -bye. Thank, Thank you. you. See you. Good night.